Welcome to the Noted Bitcoin Podcast. This is episode 36, and we're joined with Lalu and Connor from Lightning Labs, as well as my co-host, Michael Goldstein. How's it going, guys? Uh, not bad. Doing well, are you? Yeah, doing pretty great. Doing well. Uh, so I listened to you guys, well, to Lalu on Stefan Levera's podcast, and I would encourage any of our listeners to go listen to that first uh, so that they can... Uh, hear all about some of the latest developments uh, in Lightning. Uh, I remember you covered AMP uh, and mm -hmm. uh, various other topics, um, including Neutrino. So I'll try not to bring those topics up, although we can maybe go deeper on them, but um, we'll, we'll try to cover some new ground. Uh, and I what, what I feel like was not covered in the uh, Stefan Levera interview uh, was kind of Lalu's background, uh, his his software engineering career, um, and what led uh, led him to his, and obviously the same for you, Connor, uh, y'all's involvement in Lightning. So uh, yeah, let's start off with that. Yeah, like you where'd you guys go to college? Uh, I went to school at UC Santa Barbara. Uh, UC, uh, yeah, UCSB. Uh, I also or I went to MIT. Um, Started there for undergrad and then did my master's there too. Yeah, I did, I did the same thing at UCSB. Awesome. And what were your master's in? Uh, mine was like kind of like applied cryptography. I ended up working on kind of like uh, like uh, like basically symmetric search. So kind of like encrypted search, so like how to kind of like make like an index and like use symmetric crypto on it to like have like an index actually pr like pr provide privacy while you're still doing search queries over it with information retrieval stuff on top of it. Awesome. And what year was this in? Uh, this for me was 2015, 2016, my master's degree, or gotcha. I guess well, it was like a five year thing. So it was like, you know, overlapping like junior year and senior year and it was like a lot of craziness, but yeah, uh, I got out of there. So were you already involved with Bitcoin when you were in grad school? Uh, yes. Like, so at that point, like I had started doing Bitcoin development already and like I had met people like, yeah, doing kind of internships in San Francisco, kind of like Bitcoin does meet up here and that stuff. And so like, uh, I wasn't as heavily involved, but like at that point, I mean, so basically like my year of grad school, I started to work on lightning actually. That's when I, that's when I, I wrote the kind of like Sphinx implementation, which is a new writing in lightning and started to do like, you know, stuff in the mailing list, things like that. So like at that point I was getting more and more involved because I, I was like, well, you know, I'm going to do this versus anything else. And so I was like, well, let me go all in. And then, <laughs> and then it happened. So, yeah. Well, what got you interested in lightning and, and Bitcoin in general? 
Uh, I guess for me initially, like, uh, I remember like there was a point I was taking this kind of like wireless networking course. It was kind of like, you know, focusing on kind of like, uh, you know, things like radio networking, kind of like Wi-Fi, things like that. And there was like a course where we were talking about kind of like vehicular, like mobile ad hoc networks. And I kind of had this idea like, well, you know, what if you could basically use Bitcoin to kind of like pay these cars, like, you know, do like, you know, passerby or like whatever, or like, you know, pay to get to the toll gate or something like that. And that point I started working on payment channels. I started working on them at that point, but then like, I didn't really know enough yet to really make the implementation like really worthwhile uh, at that point. So like, I was kind of like working on, like, basically I was working on something similar to Duplex, where we basically got two, two Different payment channels in either direction. At that point, like uh, you know, it's kind of weird entry. And the paper came out in like you know twenty, uh, like kind of like winter twenty fifteen or so. And I was like, well, this is like what I'm working on. Let me just like scrap this, read this thing. Let me go meet these people in SF. And then I met uh, you know Justin Taj and everyone else in, uh, in SF during, during the meetups. And then it kind of like went from there. And I was like, well, this is better than I'm working on. Let me like go learn from these people, basically. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Just had to set aside your ego to uh, to, to do <laughs> that. Right. I instantly, I was like, well, let me throw my shit out. Like, you know, <laughs> it was way better. Upgrade so. V2. Yeah, basically, yeah. Like, I, my code wasn't even that great at that point. Like, <laughs> we're kind of like, you, you program, you don't really know what to do next. It's kind of like, okay. Like, I didn't have, like, the entire kind of, like, Bitcoin programming model in my head yet. So I couldn't really progress on that. But then over time, like, I did more and more kind of, like, small stuff. And I had that to kind of, like, do, you know, large projects in Bitcoin at that point. So Ethereum was growing at that time. Uh, what what made it so that you weren't interested in working on Ethereum scaling or Ethereum related projects? Uh, I mean, I think it was just like way too early then. And at that point, yeah. I was kind of really dubious and like, you know, if it actually go forth, I didn't really want to be involved in kind of like the token tail or whatever else at that point. But I think the main thing was like, I went to these Bitcoin developer meetups in SF. They were, they were like a 20th mission. So like, you know, I was doing internships with Google at that point. And, I, and like, you know, every like, uh, they were actually every week. That's the cool thing. So like, I met people like every single week. I met like, you know, people like Blue Map there for the first time. I met like a bunch of other developers in SF. I think like, you know, me being able to talk to them at those those kind of like meetups really helped me kind of accelerate like my, you know, progress in Bitcoin. Because you can actually ask questions versus like, you know, you know, like kind of like trolling an IRC or something, right? So that, that, made, that yeah. made a big difference. I think like the other thing at the time was like um, Ethereum like kind of was ramping up right around the time like the scaling Bitcoin started. And yeah. so like for me, um, you know, I had been tracking Bitcoin for a long time, even up to that point, but I was like really starting to get down into like the nitty gritty of like what issues we were facing and like what trade-offs. And after like really internalizing like what in theory sounded like a great idea, um, when you actually look at like the fundamental trade-offs, it's like this is going to be in no way better in terms of like scalability than like what we already have. In fact, it like goes the opposite direction. And so uh, I think like the choice was then like, okay, how do you optimize like what is already slim, robust, and like um, and powerful, and make that like. Yeah. Do you want to elaborate on on what the fundamental trade-offs are uh, of Bitcoin? Because I think that this often goes undiscussed. Um, sure. I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's like. Uh, you can always trade sort of like what I call like instantaneous scalability for like long-term scalability. And normally like this is mostly in reference to like, you know, initial block download versus like TPS. Um, you know, you can, you can tune any blockchain to have like more TPS instantaneously, but that adds up because it's like the integral of all these blocks basically in terms of like the amount of like storage you need for these nodes yeah. uh, and the amount of bandwidth you need to like download and process them in CPU time. So um, really like Bitcoin is, I think was going in the right direction in terms of making those trade-offs, which is why I like, you know, I, to this day, like still love and am passionate about this project because I think a lot of the people in that space also share those values. Um, 
And so I think that that's probably the gist of the trade-off. Yeah, at I, least in terms of like the scalability debate. Yeah, I remember like I remember scaling Kunos both. Tad had this kind of like thing. He was like his bathtub, basically the whole thing where it's kind of like you know on one side like everyone can verify it for like you know the box is super tiny, there's no throughput. Another side like box is super, super massive, then only basically only two people can verify it, right? And there's another bunch of other kind of like nuances in terms of the kind of like difference in security model, which I don't think really are kind of like mm -hmm. as uh, like highlighted or kind of like you know enumerated people because like people say okay, well this is equivalent. Well, it's like not really equivalent because you have all these additional assumptions on top of kind of like the base assumptions for Bitcoin itself, but. Uh, yeah, but I mean, a fun fact related to the other thing is like, uh, Conrad actually met a scale in Bitcoin in Hong Kong for the uh, first time. No, Montreal. Was it Montreal? Montreal. Was it? So, yeah, the first one. I met you and Elizabeth there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, okay, it was Montreal. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, on that note, Connor, how did you uh, end up in Montreal? What, what was your backstory before that? Uh, let's see. So, I got into Bitcoin like in 2012 ish, just like, uh, and then like started learning about it a lot more, like, you know, like was on the Reddit every single day. <laughs> just like learning as much as I could. Yeah. Uh, and I studied it for like a long time, like in, like quite a bit in college and ended up doing my master's in like sort of uh, decentralized systems, also applied cryptography. Uh, my thesis was on like decentralized public key infrastructures. Um, and so, you know, I, I had like been really ramping up and like sort of like exploring like what you could actually do with sort of like, you know, uh, like sort of like Bitcoin blockchain technology, but also like keeping in mind all the trade-offs and stuff that like I'd been like learning about through, um, you know, like I said, like m mostly Reddit at the time, but then <laughs> like really started to ramp up like, you know, my deeper understanding when I got to like talking to people at the, at scaling Bitcoins. Uh, and so the way I ended up there was, um, you know, the DCI basically like a week before the, the first conference was like, hey, would you like to go up to like Montreal to like this conference? Because I've gotten sort of involved with the Bitcoin club and also like DCI. So they sent me up there um, on like pretty short notice. And then, you know, had a great time, met a lot of people, met Lalu. Yeah, um, yeah that, was, that was dope. And I really like, got into like the crux of like what we were, what, what the huge like debate and trade. Yeah, was. I think Montreal was interesting because the first time many people even like met anyone else. Like mm -hmm. I met like, you know, like Gavin, like Sipper. I mean, no, no, yeah. Sipper wasn't there, but like a bunch of other people at that point. Like, and there were like, you know, hard discussions. I was like, wow, this is actually pretty cool. Like people exist. You know? yeah, I think one of, the, one of the big comeaways is like, you know, it's nice to put like an IRC handle to someone's face, basically. Yeah. You know, people, people aren't as dicks or, you know, in person. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely agree with that, that sentiment um, because, you know, we know a bunch of people on Twitter and it's always completely different when you meet them in person. Uh, and then your interactions with them afterwards are different as well. Um, now that you've you've met in person, um, Matt, I've always wanted like the name tags need to have the Twitter avatar on it. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah. Even more than people's handles, it's the avatar that you yeah. know people by. Yeah, because like things like when you're scrolling, you detect the avatar very quickly, kind of like scans like, oh, what's yeah, that? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I haven't changed mine for for a bit now. It's like me really, like dancing to my Twitter right. ML. Yeah, basically. So Connor, uh, what? With with your discussions in Montreal, what uh, made you decide that like Lightning was an exciting project to to work on? Um, I mean, it just became quickly apparent that like, uh, you know, just sort of like uh, due to those due to those limitations, like stuffing more transactions on chain is like even if you can optimize the size of a transaction or something like that, is never going to be like the best you can do in terms of scalability. In my opinion, like the the way you get sort of these things to scale is to not think of every transaction on chain as one transaction, right? You need to actually be doing like that single transaction on chain needs to represent hundreds, thousands, millions of like off chain transactions. Um, and to some extent, like, you know, exchanges do this, right? They batch like 
you know, maybe like a bunch of trades into like, you know, people withdrawing and, um, and like depositing. Um, and Lightning works in a kind of similar way where like, you know, you, you have your balance and then you make a bunch of like off-chain transactions, which could correspond to, you know, a couple thousand like real time or like in like meat space transactions. Yeah. And then you settle back to the chain with only a single transaction. So in that case, you know, if a transaction is like 500 bytes, um, but it's now a thousand transactions that that actually represents or actually enabled in like meat space, you know, you're talking like sub byte transactions when you like amortize that. So, yeah, and you'll you'll hear people like go even further with that and turn it into like a, a criticism that uh, all of the transactions are going to be on Lightning, all the payments are going to be on Lightning, and so there's not going to be any on-chain transactions at all. And then uh, you know the the blocks will not continue to be produced. Right, what do you, what do you guys right. make of that? Uh, yeah, uh, I don't think it's a concern. Yeah, no, I think that's incorrect because like you can say it's, that it's like, still a market for like block space, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, people are still going to be opening and closing channels. We'll have things like splicing. There will other be kind of like other you know cool protocols you can do as far as like HLC, HLC, and crypto things like that. But at the end of the day, it's like you know if Lightning's successful, you'll have more activity on Bitcoin than ever before. You know, because there may be new people, new users to Bitcoin that are drawn in because of Lightning, right? Because all of a sudden now they can do something new with their coins they couldn't do beforehand. So like, but, I don't know that's going to be the thing. Like, yeah. You know, it could be the case that like well yeah. now there's even more yeah. activity, but like there's more total you know, transactions in the system itself. But in the long run, you don't think that the the Lightning Network could become like perfectly circular in its flows, which make it so that it, there there's no coins that need to be added to. to uh, liquidity? I, I think it'll get there, but at some point, like you know, Merch is going to want to withdraw to code storage, perhaps, right? Or kind of like you know, go in the other way. So like, I think yeah. there also always will be kind of like inflows and outflows at kind of like the uh, you know on and off chain layer. But like, yeah. But I think it'll get. I, I'm looking forward to like you know. I think you can establish like a fairly like central core that doesn't need to like leave the network. But you know, there will definitely be like flows that are sort of like unidirectional as well yeah. in terms of like total aggregate like payments. Yeah. And so those will need to be like recycled some way, whether yeah. it's like off-chain, on-chain, it's unclear, but yeah. they'll strike a balance between how to do that because, uh, you know, if everyone does move to Lightning, then block, sp and like block space is like totally empty, then why not just make an on-chain transaction if it's so cheap? And you know those things like balance out to some equilibrium. Totally, and it just and depends on like. It's also another thing where it's like you know when you start doing like kind of more involved batching, you can do things where you can like open and close multiple channels with a single transaction as well, right? So like one transaction would open fifty channels, maybe close two of them, and like truck an HTLC and those other things. I think people get more and more efficient with their space as well in the future because kind of like well, I have like this one transaction, I just did like twenty things on the network, and then I move on, <laughs> and, you know, I'm done for the day or something. Yeah, and then I guess on on the other spec end of the spectrum in terms of criticism, it's like, oh well, uh, what if what if Lalu is right and this creates even more demand for transactions on chain, and we have a block weight limit, so there's no way that everyone can get onboarded onto Lightning because look at these calculations that I made. Uh, so <laughs> what, what do you make of that? Uh, I mean, yeah, like, so there are, there will always be the limitations of the base layer, but like, you know, maybe in the future people can have different things like dynamic, uh, you know, block sizes where like, you know, you have to work actually like regulate itself automatically. But then even then, like, you know, if you're working to accept like uh, slightly different trust models, there are ways where you can kind of create channels on and off, create channels off chain without transaction on chain itself. Right. So uh, I can, I can kind of talk about this on uh, scale in Bitcoin. So if you were kind of like have some ideas where you can kind of like have like a different side of the uh, trust model where you basically allow people to create channels off chain. So you get like to onboard people onto lightning, but uh, having on chain transactions. But in the end, I think that in the future, there'll be some sort of dynamic block size and like you know but like there always be a limitation yeah. right because like you can't just crank it to 11 and like think there's no consequences <laughs> right like so <laughs> yeah plus at the end of the day um you know like if you've already squeezed out all the performance you can get via lightning and there's still a constraint at the base layer um you know that could maybe be justifications for like you know making other decisions around like block size or whatever because like you know 
the wrong thing in my opinion would be to like increase the block size because it's like you know pressure now and not build out the, the technology that could relieve that if you've already built that out and then there's still like you know issues down the road then like that's more justification to maybe like pursue that but i think that's like we're quite a ways off on that front you know or side change or something like, i don't know yeah because <laughs> at that point you're not also storing those transactions that you like let in for, for like just to relieve the pressure right that would have grown like the database by like you know oh like yeah. much faster than the rate at which it is now oh yeah <laughs> that's a, yeah like the thing is like my node's probably done maybe like two or three thousand transactions you're just kind of like updates at least it's like that wasn't on chain no one knew about that that's yeah. pretty dope like <laughs> my boss had like 300k or something yeah <laughs> we uh i asked i asked alex to like tell us how many like basically channel updates y'all had done and it was like almost four hundred thousand. yeah <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, maybe we can get it to a million with uh, this, this node launcher. I've been getting people onto onboarded, so yeah. uh, we, we can increase uh, the amount of load on Alex's uh, server. And, 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 and he doesn't share any of that money with Lightning Labs, right? All of that y'all's money goes directly into his back pocket. Yeah, he's, he's the CEO of y'all, so, yeah. you know, <laughs> he handles that. <laughs> Awesome. Well, uh, maybe he'll uh, help out Lightning Labs with uh, some funding in the future. (laughs) It's going to be a giant media empire bigger than Reddit. (laughs) Starts with microblogging. Yeah. Um, All right, uh, Michael, did you you have some questions? I was going to look at the audience questions. Yeah, well, we do have uh, some good audience questions. Kind of just, I think, go down some of the list of, you know, ones we have. There's one uh, from Billy BTC. Uh, how often can we expect additions to be made to the Lightning Network Bolt specifications, and how likely is it for Bolts, current or future, to, to change after being accepted? So uh, do you guys want to like, explain what Bolts are, Bolt 1.0 and then 1.1 now? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, the Bolt specification is like a collaborative effort by um, primarily Blockstream, Async, and uh, Lightning Labs. And you know, there's other people too. But and, and there's other people too. You know, Matt Corral is pretty heavily involved. You know, uh, there's a group called Tarmigan that's like starting to work on it as well. Uh, and so, really, it's like a collaborative place for us to write down in detail how these like protocols should interact with each other. Uh, and that gives you a ba- sort of a basis to go off in terms of like what can I expect from my peers? How should I uh, be sending messages, formatting them, all those things? Um, and really, that just defines like. Yeah, minimally defines like the actual interface between two nodes. There's it tells you nothing about how to actually like basically build these on the back end. There's a lot of gaps you got to fill on that oh, front, yeah, but yeah. It, de- it sort of defines like this minimal like intersection of like how do we need to like communicate with each other in order to like accomplish this task of say opening a channel or sending a payment. Um, and so, in my experience, in the last year and a half, you know, bolts get updated fairly frequently, um, either just because like we realize there's our edge cases that we should like account for and document and specify. Uh, there's just like some slight improvements that we think we can make. Um, I think like down the road, some of them will like sort of like solidify quite a bit. I mean, some of them are pretty solidified as is. Yeah, like, you know, like, like, been touching a while. like the transport mechanism bolt. Yeah. Two, one. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Like, or like Brontine hasn't changed in a while. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, there, there are parts of it that have sort of ossified in a good way because we haven't had a need to change them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, overall I'd say, um, yeah, I mean, I, you I know, think there's definitely like more to come, I'd say. Yeah. Because there's a lot, just a lot of new features, and it would be nice to sort of like start, you know, adding those as like standalone uh, documents. 
I guess. Yeah, I think as of right now, we've basically been like modifying this one rather than like making new documents. I think that's because like it's in Git and it's pretty easy for us to kind of like modify something. And those things, those things are typically done. I mean, but like most of the changes that like were in, you know, kind of like the uh, 1.0 after we kind of like announced it were things that we realized were issues once we actually started doing implementations, right? Like, you know, you have the spec, once you actually start to like interact with implementations either yourself mm -hmm. and the like, now we can kind of figure out little things like, okay, well, fees can be a pain or well, okay, there's like a problem vector. Oh, okay, well, we should be using, you know, like encrypted backing or something like that. So many of those things were kind of like added on stuff uh, after the fact. And then now now we have like kind of bolt 1.1 1 .1 coming out, which is going to be kind of like the next version, which isn't kind of like the super. I mean, so one thing we said bolt 1.1 1 .1 is that it wasn't going to include any like soft forks. So it's kind of like it was meant to be a kind of like more immediate thing, right? So things you know around like uh, like dual funding, uh, you know, splicing, kind of one channel things like that. But then like you know bolt 2.0 or 1.2, whatever decided it will be, will maybe have like you know soft forks like taproot or whatever else, and then that may be kind of like really more radically uh, redesigned, kind of like more of the protocol. So it's mm -hmm. kind of like more like an incremental step, adds a bunch, bunch of really cool quality service things, like and things like that. I think you know will really make a big difference when we start rolling this stuff out in 2019. In Bitcoin, there's this sort of feeling of, you know, over time, we kind of do in a way want to ossify the protocol. Maybe there will be additional things, but, you know, we want we want something that's like here to stay for the next, you know, thousand years or whatever. Um, right. Is is lightning? Do you think that there's there's going to be a similar trajectory or do you think it's uh, going to always sort of continue to have that fa fast paced, uh, like, you know, new features and all of that? Uh, I think there's a pretty good likelihood for the near future that it will continue to be like a very fast paced development cycle. Mm -hmm. um, just because like there are a number of things like in the protocol where we know today we're like, you know, this can be better. And either they're enabled by softworks in the future or we can do them sort of now, um, you know. And so like the protocol we have right now is working with like sort of today's Bitcoin. But I think like as Bitcoin continues to evolve and like opens up new doors and like you know, we'll continue to like update the lightning protocol to take advantage of those features as well. Yeah. Um, and so I don't, I don't foresee it ossifying anytime soon. I mean, like a lot of um, even like the basic mechanics of like getting a pre-image for a payment hash is likely to change in the future because mm -hmm. you'll probably get like a secret key to a pub key mm -hmm. um, when we move to sort of like Hopi correlation and snore based scriptless script channels. So like even the, like the most basic, like fundamental, like, piece of lightning itself today is probably going to like be modified in the future. Yeah, because I feel like the main thing is like we can be a lot more nimble which because like you know we really we don't really require depending on what type of upgrade we don't really require kind of like global consensus or kind of like global mm -hmm. synchronized update because it's kind of like okay well I have to my transaction I have my node and you have your node. But one example is like something like AMP like so right now like AMP like we can do this network today without modifying anything because it's a purely end-to-end -end protocol right only send and receive really know, you know what's going on. So we kind of like have like a bunch of little hooks in there that we can do for things to make uh, to kind of upgrade things a lot more quickly. But even beyond that I think because there's kind of like all of the like network layer and kind of like and running things like that like many things are kind of like even fully decoupled from Bitcoin itself. So we have a lot of research working on different routing protocols or different things like multi-app blocks, whatever else that can be, you know, that can be, actually be real estate without any changes in Bitcoin. So I think it's just a thing where it's like we can move more quickly because we don't require kind of like global flag day of mm -hmm. upgrading. But there are some upgrades that will, will maybe kind of like modify or like restrict your, your actual set of uh, possible paths. Like we're like saying, if we move to kind of like Schnorr or something like that for like HLCs, then at that point, like every single person in the path needs to have an update. But probably a thing where you can you have like, like a kind of like a flag day where people have like, they support both, then later on they only support one of them. So I think like the, the worst, I mean, the most aggressive upgrade kind of like a slow motion soft fork in Lightning. Mm -hmm. Like do something that's restricted. So that basically be that like I have my node open and I've decided to now support both types of signatures, but mm -hmm. over X amount of time, I just noticed that the network traffic for the one type of signature has gone to close enough to zero where it's like, it's not even worth it anymore for me exactly. to have it. Yeah. And therefore I then just moved to, to Schnorr only. Mm -hmm. yep. mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's also like, there will be an incentive to also do that as well because um, 
the Schnorr-based or like ECDSA scribble script variants will actually like induce smaller fees on chain. Yep. The witnesses you need are smaller. And so um, the witnesses and scripts are like quite a bit smaller. So there is like a financial incentive for people to like upgrade as well. So that's mm -hmm. kind of nice. Yep. Um, but yeah. Yeah, and the other thing as well is like in the future, like it'd be, it'd be more of a thing where you kind of blend it with the rest of the enemy set of like the actual chain. It's like every, everyone's using Taproot then. Well, you know, in the normal case, it's like, well, I just signed up for the key. And all that point is like a channel open and channel close don't really look like anything else. It don't look like anything different versus kind of like people taking the right of payment on chain, which I think is pretty cool. Awesome. Uh, we got another question here, which I oh. I also would have this question from Matthew R. Uh, he was really enjoying the history. Uh, we got up to scaling Bitcoin Montreal. Uh, he'd love to hear more. Uh, when they met and what led to them uh, starting working at Lightning Labs and the story of Lightning Labs up to now? Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. Starting to Bitcoin, I guess. Starting to scale Bitcoin. Uh, we went to school for a bit. You know, then at that point, like, uh, I guess, like, you know, uh, I guess it was after scaling Bitcoin Hong Kong, uh, like, during that summer, I kind of, like, met and hanging out a lot more with kind of Joseph, Elizabeth, and Tad. Tad, and at that point, and I was, like, really interested in kind of working on this stuff. And there's a thing where it's, like, at that point, I was, like, interning at Google a lot. And I had, like, the interest uh, before that point. And, like, at one point, I was kind of, like, deciding which, 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 one, which one I want to do. Whether I want to go to kind of like, Google, be there for a full time, to an intern, or actually go to Bitcoin instead. That was kind of a thing where it's, like, initially, I had to kind of, like, Bitcoin, I had Google. I was like, well, I'm going to miss, miss one everything like with internally Google and all these people and whatever else. But eventually, I had like more and more Bitcoin. Problem. I was like, well, I'm not going to get ever, ever get to do this again. So I have to go go forward to the, with this thing at that point. And then that, uh, then so then Lightning Labs was created in uh, you know like 2016 or so. Uh, and then at that point, like I ended up graduating at uh, you know ETSB and I put everything in my car and drove to San Francisco and started working uh, you know that summer and then kept going up from from there. And then uh, we eventually uh, got Connor on board in 2017. Yeah. Uh, he, he was doing some other he was working on some other project at, at that time doing some kind of some NBC stuff and we kind of like. You know, you know, talking about enticing him to get uh, join the company, and then we got him on at that point. Uh, probably skipped some details uh, in between there. <laughs> but that's that kind of like the timeline. But I mean, I just think I was, I was hanging out with Justin Tad to live a lot more and more during the summer, and kind of like they really convinced me that uh, this is something that I was going to be able to do. And like I just felt like this was kind of the opportunity to do so, especially given that I was like you know fresh out of school. And if it failed, I'd just go back to Google and you know like you just have like a cushy job basically, right? <laughs> so uh, then, that, then that was like maybe that kind of like brought me to, uh, committed me to go for it there. So that explains why you have so many uh, Google-related technologies uh, in <laughs> L&D, whether it's Go, Protobufs, uh, gRPC, or anything. Yeah, yeah. uh, now, which is great. <laughs> if, I, if I remember correctly, the, the idea of macaroons also had come from Google, hadn't it? Or was it Mozilla? Uh, yeah, it's like they, they published the paper with other people as well. And they, they actually use macaroons a lot like under the scene with like you know things like Gmail, search whatever else, and, and, and place of cookies and things like that. Or for example, like whenever you, you share someone on like Google Photos, you basically give them like access to like an album. You give them macaroon for that for the album, and particularly they can't access anything else. So it's pretty cool, kind of an authentication tool. Yeah. yeah. Can, you, can you actually explain uh, macaroons to the audience, and also how, what, what is that used for in Lightning? Uh, yeah, so basically macaroons are kind of like, they say like they're cookies, but better. So basically macaroons is kind of like an authentication token. So it's kind of like a bare credential. And the main thing is that like, it's a capability. So like, you know, you can have kind of like an access, access control list, like an ACL, which means basically, you know, have, you have like a list of users and basically say like, you know, Bob can access directory Y, do whatever else. Like inside macaroon basically gives you like the actual credential to say, hey, you can access this thing. You, think of it kind of like a private key, right? So private key is kind of like bare credential. You, you have that private key, you can you access your funds. So macaroons are kind of the same thing. Macaroons are pretty cool because like, they're kind of like pretty simple in their design because they're basically, basically kind of like chain HMAC. You have this kind of like root key 
key, then you have like, then from that uh, root key, you, got, you drive all the other macaroons. Putting them in macaroons, like you can do things like you can actually kind of like take a macaroon and make it more restrictive. So I can basically give you something that say, well, okay, you can read this directory. Well, you can read this directory at 2 p.m. every year or something like that, right? So you can you can also kind of like pass them on. So for example, it's like let's say like I wanted to like have an application, I wanted to give the application like maybe only access like my graph data. I can basically give them macaroon and say, okay, you can access one particular call. But even further than that, I can say, okay, well, you can only access the uh, data of all the edges. So basically, they're using LND for kind of like authentication on the RPC system because they're pretty flexible. Because you can because like uh, the main thing is you can basically like have like a system built around LND and give each component basically the minimum amount of actual permissions in each to actually accomplish this task, right? For example, if I have like a payment server, I can give it like, what we have like an invoice macaroon, which basically lets you make invoices, you know, list transactions, maybe make new addresses, but it can't do anything else. So there's all this list you do, but you do a lot of really really cool things as far as like kind of application structure that is still actually pretty secure. One cool example I've seen seen of this, which can go even further, is kind of like Jewel. So for example, like Jewel, you know, you, make, you give it some macaroon, and right now like it takes everything, but in the future it can, it can be kind of a lot more granular. So like one thing they can do in the future. They can basically give every single site their own macaroon, right? And they, every single site can their own macaroon in like local storage, or whatever else. And because of that, we can actually like you know ensure that the, ma the macaroon only like uh, ensures the, the website can actually do things like uh, maybe like only like two BTC days or something like that, or a different time of day. The other cool thing is at that point you can actually revoke the macaroon at any given time. So now like every single website has like a very specific macaroon. You can ensure that like you have like, you have the capabilities like firewall for everything else, and you also revoke those pretty easily. I think it's a pretty cool model on like kind of like MetaMask, which basically just gives them everything. This basically says you can make a, you know a transaction up to like you know ten thousand satoshis one a day uh, only to these endpoints or things like that. So it's a pretty cool thing as far as like, uh, you know, uh, kind of authentication with, the, with an LND. Right now, we basically have three, three macaroon types of LND. We have like the admin, read only, we have the invoice. But later on, we're going to have this thing called like macaroon bakery. So you can basically like make custom macaroons or like bake custom macaroons, I guess. Uh, <laughs> and there's, there's, there's like you basically do like anything. So you basically like, I need a macaroon that says, you know, you can access the thing at 10 p.m., you know, over local host only with these two calls and at most like, you know, two per second or something like that. So you can even you, you can have very, very yeah, extremely granular. Yeah, you yeah. can be super, super granular. Yeah. I think like one thing that like uh, as well is that they're also like sort of like hierarchical where like if I have a read macaroon, I can hand out, I can like subdelegate like even granular tasks just on my own. I don't need like the original person, right? Like, exactly. If I have the read one, I'm allowed to read anything, but I can then like if I have like microservices that only need to access certain things, I can be like, you can read the channel graph, you can read channel balance, you can read this. So and then those subsystems can continue to do the same thing. So like exactly, um, you can really like lock down your permissions like quite nicely. Yeah. So it's kind of like a Merkle tree. You, you can basically never go back up once you have macaroon to make it more mm -hmm. powerful. But you can make it, you know, you can make it, uh, you can train it more and more as you go down. So it's pretty cool yeah. feature in that. So is this something that could also be used, uh, you know, in, in lieu of things like API keys? Because like API keys, when you get it, it's like you, yeah. you yeah. get the full yeah. range of stuff, yeah. but you don't get to, yeah. yeah. They're like API keys with like cryptography behind them. Yeah, it's, it's pretty and cool. Permissions. Right? Yeah, for example, you could do a thing with, let's say I had some like API that like was maybe doing like, you know, translation of some language, something like that. I could basically like, you know, send the payment over Lightning and the pre-image is actually the macaroon all of a sudden, right? Now I have that kind of receipt. Well, you know, you sign this this invoice to me. The cool thing about that is like now, like you don't really know who actually paid for that like API key, but you can present that to the uh, service and they can use that as regular authentication to move forward. So that's like a really cool kind of like a uh, loop in terms of like kind of like, you know, like a, like a native Lightning uh, API that's powered by micropayments. So I think it's some cool things, a lot of cool things that direction. I think we, we, we were doing in the future and other people were doing as well. Yeah, that's really awesome. I, I was yeah. introduced to the idea of macaroons back in, I guess it was like 2016, because someone had someone was working on this this project of using macaroons to control access to a Git repository. So mm -hmm. it's like you can you, you might be able to read one branch, write to another branch, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought yeah. that was really cool. And you know, perhaps you know, there's some kind of lightning thing you can do there to to help pay for various you know open source software, but. Hmm. Uh, at the time, there is not uh, nearly as much infrastructure to be playing with.
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, the cool thing is like library that we use, is, it's kind of like part of a standard. So basically, like if anyone like has like a JS library that uses the exact same standard for the macaroon, they can also like read and parse stories and validate them, which is pretty cool. Uh, what is this library? Uh, well, uh, so normally called used called Go Macaroons, but like there's like a Macaroons like mailing list basically where they talk about different standards in, in terms of like serialization, uh-huh. like how to do validation, things like that. Macaroon but, wizards. <laughs> macaroon, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, but like if you if y'all read the paper, it's very close to basically the paper, and it gives like a pretty good overview of like well, it's like really really in depth, but I think it's pretty cool. I kind of like to see like how it's being used, uh, and just like it's very, very very like powerful kind of like credential based system. The main thing is basically kind of like least authority, uh, you know, least authority principle. Basically, you should only have like the authorities that you need minimally to actually apply complete task which you know, helps you can really kind of like restrict capabilities of particular servers so if you maybe your payment server gets popped you don't you can't really drain all your funds or whatever right because they can only get invoices and nothing else which is you know really cool from security standpoint yeah i feel like at every layer and every little subcomponent of uh the lightning project broadly speaking uh every little part has a huge amount of runway for improvements, a long list of like to do's and uh, really awesome uh, features that are going to get developed over the coming years. It's, yeah. it's very exciting. And it shows that like there's there's room for a lot of developers to come in. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. So yeah. uh, do you guys want to talk about like the, the developer pipeline? Do, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think turning developers like, you know, you know, I guess there's a bunch of levels. Obviously, there's a protocol level, which kind of like maybe requires you to have like a, more, a lot more kind of like advanced Bitcoin knowledge, kind of protocol knowledge. But then also, there's kind of like a lot of things like also like just like LND itself. Like if you look at our issues or like look on GitHub, basically like it's kind of like a beginner tag. There's things kind of like okay, well, add the mm-hmm. RPC call, or like maybe people want to pass like their pub key in this call, whatever else. So even those like are a big help because like you know there's a lot of like other tasks to do, and like once you actually like do those, you can like kind of like can you continue to do like larger and larger tasks and kind of like level up in a sense, yeah. kind of be like you know like more of like a substantial contributor. We've, we've had people that started in like very, very small tasks and eventually, like, you know, kept improving, get, kept getting better. We eventually basically hired them like, well, you know, this guy's like really killing it or he's really <laughs> killing it. Uh, so then, so I think that's yeah, really, really, that's a really good way to like get involved with the code base too. I mean, yeah. the code base at this point is like pretty huge on its own. Uh, <laughs> it's, there's a lot to navigate and there's, you know, there's lots of intricacies, nuances and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and doing that is like a really good way to just like, you know, dip your feet in and like start interacting with us, getting feedback, learn coding style, all these things. And then, um, you know, it's onwards and upwards from there. Yeah, and then even beyond that, you know, there's a ton of other like tools people are building as well, which are really important. For example, like you know, people building the different front ends, like the node launcher, for example, or people kind of like building their own things, like you know, rebalancing scripts. We can kind of like have something that does rebalancing, and then does like that. But like the cool thing with that is like you you could you could say like you know I can make kind of like a macaroon for rebalancer that basically says you can send payments, but they must start and end at me, right? So now all of a sudden they can't do anything else. They can't send it anywhere else. So I can just like have like a very very you know kind of fine grained uh, you know compartmentalized capabilities for them. But yeah, a bunch of different tools people are making, a bunch of different like apps and like mobile games, like you know, people make like Unity plugins, whatever else. Those are kind of like developer activities. Like it's impressive. Like it's hard to keep up with the times, even uh, just because I see new shit like every day, which is uh, pretty dope. Well, I think that part of the credit for that goes to the, to the uh, really nice gRPC uh, API setup, which is that I've I, this is the first time I had used gRPC, yeah. um, but basically it allows you to auto generate client and server code uh, based off of a specification. Mm-hmm. And as someone who like I, I'm not a Go Golang person, yeah. uh, so I'm like a Python person, and it was really easy to just get uh, started with the API. And I think that's been the experience of a lot of developers uh, who, whether it's like JavaScript or whatever other language is supported by gRPC. Yeah, that's uh, great. I think there's like 10 of them. Yeah, 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 there's a ton. And some two people just like make their own. There's one for like OCaml, it's like not officially supported, but someone just made it. <laughs> like, you know, so. Yeah. yeah. 
No, I mean, I really love gRPC because it really like decouples like what we feel like is best for like developing our software in from like what you end up wanting to use it in or like just lending it over to like more of like a microservice architecture um, and just, you know, setting it up to where like uh, L&D is like a control plane for like your money can be accessed from literally however you want to using like the same sort of like, you know, macaroon certificate, yeah. whatever approach on all those infrastructures. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And like one of the cool things about your is you can kind of like embed it directly in your business logic. So it's kind of like now, okay, well, I'm doing like, you know, my like payment site. And then I'm talking to Lightning. It's kind of like, well, they're all fully integrated. It's like a it's like a normal Python object, just like anything else. But I think it makes it like, you know, really cool. Yeah. Also, we have like pretty good documentation. Uh, we had an intern, uh, you know, last year, Max Fang. Shouts out to Max Fang for making the docs. Mm -hmm. And that's basically like, you know, API to Lightning that community. And like, that's pretty good rendering. We also have our we're set right now. It's like anytime we push to Git to modify the Pro files, it are, it auto generates and re renders that automatically, which is pretty dope too. Shout out to Wilmer for, uh, for <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think another thing that's like really cool also um, is sort of like the idea of like wrapping the RPC protocol as well. So like you can have someone that like wraps like the RPC, so you don't have to deal with like the raw RPC calls, but it looks like just like a native library. And like that's something that like you know the community could help build out too as well. Like you could have one for Go that does streaming updates and just oh, sends yeah. the updates over the channel and stuff like, like that. I started working on this at yeah. one point, but we were just too much stuff to do, so I never finished it. And so it's like, called like Lightning J, which is kind of like yeah. that. It's, and like, it's uh, like a higher level Java uh, interface. And I mean, Boz has like LN service, which is like a JavaScript. I don't know how, I haven't like took yeah, a look. Yeah, I, I think it wraps it and has like a, like a REST API on top of it. But I think that would be also really cool because, you know, working with gRPC is like a little verbose. Uh, and then in, like, in Go, but maybe you never know, languages. Yeah, but so. Getting that wrapped up really nicely would be like, you know, if people want to work on projects, I think that'd be really interesting too. Yeah, because the big thing as well, you can get like really good kind of like streaming updates as well, which, which I think is pretty important. As in like, you know, whenever you pay something in Lightning, you want to have that like very, very fast callback to kind of like re-render the UI, which kind of like really big mm -hmm. part of the kind of like user experience. I think like whenever you have like anything like, you know, maybe in JS, maybe it's callback or it's kind of like sending over a channel or whatever else, that, because you can have like very good streaming support for the notifications, it makes it a lot tighter application-wise as well, which I, which I really like. Yeah, yeah we, we would like to eliminate like all uses of like long polling, um, like especially from the UI, just because it like you know, you feel the lag as a user when you're just like I push the button and then a second later it just like now updates. It's like what? Yeah, 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 <laughs> it's yeah, like yeah, no, like, it should yeah. be like responsive, right? Like yeah, because the best thing is also when people do kind of like those like side by side demos. It's like you know like an app and like y'all's and like you click it and like y'all updates before the app. Basically, it's like yeah, you know, shows like how, how quick it can be uh, in, in like, the best case. Yeah, absolutely. And how do you guys balance your time between uh, helping people uh, get? get on the Lightning Network and helping them with bugs that they're experiencing versus developing the future? Uh, yeah, I mean, so it can kind of be difficult balance times. I think one thing we did earlier on, we kind of like invested a lot in kind of like developing community on our Slack, and, you know, with the idea that kind of like, you know, we can kind of educate like the first like 10 or 20 people and they would go themselves and like, you know, go on more educating mm -hmm. more users and users. So like initially I would basically wake up, there'd be like 10, like hundreds of Slack messages, I'd reply to all the basically that start actually <laughs> Now I wake up, like most of them are actually responding to because there are actually people in the community now that know, know a lot of stuff themselves and like go mm -hmm. forth. Because I remember when we went to kind of like the like Berlin hack day in Germany, like the knowledge I thought was like, it was insane. Like they were like- That was like, like one of my favorite like yeah, events. Like they were year. asking like really really, really good question. I was like, wow, like these guys are really, really like, you know, just like learn all this knowledge and like really caught up super quickly. So I thought that was really impressive. So I think it's one of the things where it's kind of like community like, you know, gives within itself and kind of like grows because then everyone wants to kind of like have more knowledge and make sure they're understanding things a lot more effectively. Uh, and then like also people like, you know, cause then we also have like a lot more, a lot more contributors on like GitHub doing kind of like issues or like uh, helping review whatever else. But so I think it's a thing yeah. where it's kind of like, you know, teach a man to fish and then they, <laughs> yeah. they go I mean, that. overall, like I've been really impressed with just like, you know, the quality of conversations and help like on the Slack. Uh, I think the Slack's what approaching three thousand or something. Uh, I think it's past past quite, yeah. Maybe it's like almost four thousand devs now. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a lot of people on there. So there's probably someone who's had your issue or knows what to do or like is keeping up. Yeah. Um and yeah, issues can be like, you know, 
kind of tough. Sometimes you got to balance like, uh, oh, this looks like super, you got to like really apply like a prioritization strategy. Oh, so yeah, we started doing that too. Like yeah. all our issues are sort of tagged with like, you know, P1 through P4. Yeah. Um, sort of like, is this like a critical bug or is this just like, well, I don't know. It's like a really like obscure edge case. <laughs> yeah. Like our, our lower tier is P4, which is noted. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, noted. like all right. We're gonna that. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like then also in addition to that, like sort of like the number of contributors as well is going up. I mean, I think there's a probably like five core people that like are employed by like Lightning Labs that work on L and D, and we're starting to see, like, especially like in the last probably four or five months, yeah, um, a lot of like new contributors also that just like regularly contribute, uh, mm -hmm. review, and help with all those things. Definitely. Um, so it's really exciting to see all that pick up as well. Yeah. Another thing is like, you know, if you're doing a PR, like we can be slow sometimes because there's a lot of things you're yeah. going to want or kind of like PR is difficult to review or it's a thing where like one miniature like has like your proper testing and things like that. But like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, we're not as slow as maybe like Bitcoin D, but yeah. like, you know, they're slow with good reason as well and because like, of like level of, uh, you know, uh, security involved and things like that. But yeah. And, and to some extent too, like it may seem like, like we try to, we, we have a goal to keep our like, you know, number of issues under a hundred. <laughs> it's 162 right now. Like yeah, I know. Well, that was, that was the goal. And then like now it's up to 160, but like, but no, but that's like not because like the reviews slowing down. It's because like aggregate bandwidth is like increasing and yeah. there is a lot of turnover. Like we do get a lot of stuff reviewed yeah. and merged. But, but like, I mean, the other thing is well, like some of the issues are kind of like feature requests or they're issues like by us requesting yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. So, like in terms of like bugs, maybe bugs are like 10 bugs are probably the same. 10 or 10 percent of the issues, but yeah. Yeah. We so how, how, how are you going to have the, uh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. The, how are you going to scale up the developer involvement from here, uh, to, to go 10 X, to get tech, all these features, just get more people excited. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I think that just comes with like, you know, developers stepping up to be contributors, basically kind of like doing like more substantial work. And like, I, maybe the thing that like, maybe like they need a new feature for an LND for the application, or they're kind of like scratching their own edge, something we see a lot. Someone's like, Oh, well, like, you know, I'm writing mobile application. I need to kind of like control the kind of exponential backup for reconnecting on peers. Like, okay, we'll add that in. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a thing where like naturally like an open source project like that. Obviously there are kind of like, you know, growing trains as far as like, you know, too many PRs, whatever else. Like right now, like our PRs are growing, growing by a good bit. But I think maybe we'll have a thing where we're kind of like, you know, really just kind of like hungry down, like we've used to reach reach things kind of release and maybe close out mm -hmm. some of our data PRs that really getting updated. Yeah. There are some PRs which are just like, you know, they're made against like super old versions of LND where like that subsystem might not even exist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like yeah, so, we have like, PRs from like 2017, like maybe like March 2017 that are like just sitting there. But yeah. Maybe I'll poke somebody and build a little or just close it another like <laughs> <laughs> So we talked about like the massive growth in in developers and uh, build people building applications with LND. Um, as for like the users, do you feel like that uh, LND is mature enough now to have way more users than it, it currently has, or do you want to just see that continuing to to grow at the same pace as the software matures? Uh, yeah, I'd say probably the user base is maybe growing as far as it has to like we're kind of getting like really cool applications or like mm -hmm. crazy like people are like, using a lot. For example, like I guess there's like a, a site called like like microservice has an LND. I can't remember the name of it exactly, but they're seeing like you know, but like the chats really like flying off the shelf very very quickly. But I feel like one of the big things that will kind of like increase the user base of LND once we actually get there is kind of like uh, actually making neutrino mainnet, uh, which hopefully you know early next year we got some things working <laughs> on that. Because at that point, like you know, for example, you don't need like a massive you two, know, weeks. <laughs> two weeks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, like at that point, you don't need like you know hundred gigabytes or so to actually swing. You know, and like we're actually getting the same time very very you know fast. Like well, I think right now it's probably like if you have an okay internet connection, you can take maybe like one or two minutes on mainnet. So it's basically like you know you click it, you walk away, you're back, and boom, you're sick. You can yeah. really use like or by the time you write down your seed, which is what you should be doing. Exactly. Those one yeah. So, so that's one of our goals. It's like basically by the time you finish writing your seed, LND should be synced ready with Neutrino, and that's I think we're yeah. we're pretty close to that. Yeah. 
Awesome. Yeah, we're right. Australia and Japan doing some tests of like, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're well, like we super get, high get on like the Airbnb Wi-Fi and log to like, all right, what's the speed? And like, <laughs> <laughs> and like, that's not bad. Like, all right, you know, yeah. from Australia, which had like the craziest ping time, right? Yeah, like, well, we were also hitting like SF servers. Yeah. So then it was like that round trip was like, I, I see what Rusty has to deal with all the time. And it's amazing he's still able to like, yeah. make, like hangouts. Video calls with him just work. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah I, I was surprised that our our hangout with uh, the Sea Lightning team worked out so well. Uh, they they had surprisingly good internet quality, and it's better than Michael's in Austin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's like I have like really bad internet. Now, so I have like three megabits down in SF, so it's like I don't really. Kind like, of I, I come to the office to like upload binaries and stuff, basically. <laughs> otherwise, like it just takes forever. Like, it's funny too, because like that's in in my view, and I after spending the last couple of weeks helping people sync their full Bitcoin node, um, bandwidth is a major constraint, and uh, there's I think a lot of um, improvements that that will be made there. Like I I got fiber installed recently, and so that's that that allows me to do a, an initial block download which is constrained by my hardware, not by my bandwidth. Um, but for most other people, like you're saying, like a three megabit download, like that's that's going to be a bandwidth constrained, not hardware constrained for the initial sync. Yeah. And so like as, as fiber gets deployed more widely, I think it'll become more palatable to do a, a block weight limit increase. Uh, but un until then, uh, stick to building on, on off-chain. Right. And I, I, you know, on top of that, like latency is also like a pretty big killer too, because, um, you know, if pretty much if like, if you're saturating your bandwidth, there's pretty much no, there's like probably no amount of optimization you can do past that point. Right. Like you're, you're kind of stuck, but if latency is your issue, well, that just like means you need to do like more pipelining more like everything else. Right. And that's like an algorithmic thing that is like for the most part solvable. Then if you're saturating your bandwidth, now you're like, <laughs> now you're running into issues, but <laughs> that can be a real killer if every round trip is like, you're doing half a million of these to sync a blockchain and everyone's like a half a second. That's a killer. But So uh, I also, so another big question that I've been getting asked a lot is about Tor and uh, using your LND node with Tor so that um, your external IP address is a Tor address and you don't have to like deal with um, any concerns about exposing your like home IP address to, to the public mm -hmm. internet. Um, is that... And I, I tried setting it up and I, I got it, I think, sort of set up for Bitcoin Core, but um, mm -hmm. it's it seems like a pretty involved process right now. And then uh, is, is it... Go ahead. Well, is it the case that like for people at home, like maybe you shouldn't need to expose your external IP and you should be able to just run it privately and you have no ambition of routing payments for everyone else. So it's okay to like not be public. Is, uh, is that a good read on that or am I missing something? Yeah. I mean, it really depends on your use case, I think. Yeah. Like, you know, and you can also do Tor in sort of like outbound or inbound, you know, like making Tor on an outbound connection is I'm going to use Tor to connect someone else and inbound is like, I'm like a hidden service. I want you to connect to me via Tor as well. Uh, and LND supports both at the moment. I think Wilmer actually did that integration, right? Yep. 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 So, I mean, uh, so when I, when he made that PR and like, I tested it out, it was, it was pretty much as simple as like running the Tor daemon and then starting LND. Uh, but I don't know, maybe like. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, like, you know, LND is pretty easy because, like, we we do make it kind of like plug and play. As like, if Tor is active and you have the flags, it'll do everything for you manually, right? But mm -hmm. if you're doing kind of like more advanced, you may actually need to modify the, the Tor config itself. But and then uh, I think Bitcoin D has that as well, but to, up to Tor V2. But we also do like Tor V3 is kind of like a different uh, version of the protocol mm -hmm. that has like you know better better crypto involved in it. 
the cool things as well, like you know, when, for the neutrino one, if you run neutrino with Tor, like it makes sure all that traffic itself is all over Tor too. So it's kind of like a fully, uh, you know, like fully encapsulated thing. But I, I think it's a big deal because like one of the things as well is that like Tor can help you get past kind of like NAT, NAT traversals. But you know, some people may not really have like public C as a simple IP. They can actually accept you know inbound connection from the actual network. Or if you have Tor, you have a Tor in service, anyone can connect to you over Tor, which also is good because now you can like, have more connections with the network, make sure things are more robust. Yeah. Uh, but if you're trying to receive a payment, uh, do you need to expose your external IP or can you just have like a route hint in the payment request, which makes it such that you'll receive the payment anyway? So the only person that needs to like know your IP is like all your direct peers. Okay. Uh, so I mean like someone else connecting who wants to send a payment to you, if it's, if it's like a routed payment, they don't need to know your IP. They just need to know your pub key and like the nodes will figure that out. It's only gotcha. the nodes that you immediately connect to that, um, that will, that may need to know your IP, I'll say, because like, for example, if you're a private or uh, sort of like what we call an unadvertised node, yeah. which means all of your channels are unadvertised, um, then you may not have like a public like, IP that people can connect to. When you when you make a connection on the first time to this node, they only see like, um, you know, the inbound port basically. So they don't have an address to dial you back at. You can only connect to them. Um, so for certain applications like a mobile phone or maybe like a if you want your Note at home to be like more private, you can do that. They'll still have your IP, but they won't be able to like connect back to you, kind of thing. So, gotcha. Uh, and is Tor possible on mobile, or is that uh, always going to be like? Uh, so I've heard rumors that there's like some iOS like ways oh. to do Tor. Oh, yes, uh, yes, mobile. Yeah. Okay. I don't know how easy to like bundle into like with the daemon as well. But, well, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's two aspects. One, you can basically use kind of like a Tor like wrapper, like native to that like uh, you know platform, kind of like Android iOS, or you can basically there's ways where you can actually like embed the actual Tor daemon in a uh, you know in a Go package with a little bit more kind of like trickery for building. So, yeah. Like, it, it's it's possible. Alternatively, we can just like build out Hornet. And then that can just be used as like an anonymous communication protocol, and we're done. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's it's possible as well. Uh, you know, likely like maybe a later version will have that kind of like more advanced feature for users. Uh, but it, it's it's possible. But there's a little more kind of like hoop you maybe need to jump through. Yeah. All right. So let's take another question from our audience here. Um, this one is, I think, a common question uh, because uh, in other parts of the quote unquote crypto world, uh, there are altcoins where you can you can do staking and then you get like a percentage revenue from uh from snake from staking uh and people have kind of like projected this onto bitcoin onto lightning network where like oh you're gonna be able to like do staking with lightning network and then you'll get a return from routing payments um and so the question is uh, will collecting fees provide enough incentive for others to set up lightning network nodes or will they be too negligible and inconsistent to matter uh, I mean, so I'd say it depends. I feel like right now, maybe like in the North, maybe there's like a few nodes that are kind of like, uh, you know, earning good because maybe they're a little more kind of like educated in terms of kind of like where to open the channels, like actually, uh, you know, automatically managing channels. It's not really a case where we can kind of like really just open channels and kind of set, forget to actually like, you know, be earning meaningful revenue. But I think like maybe like uh, someone like Boz maybe like earns enough like every month to like pay for like, like Netflix, which is like maybe like $5 or $10 a month, which is like, <laughs> actually like a pretty good benchmark uh, on that front. But I feel like it's kind of a thing where right now, like you can say that the velocity payments in the network isn't super, super high right now, as in like, you know, like there are points where you know it's kind of like really just idle but there may be a point in the future where kind of like it can't really just stop these like payment for you being for every single time right mm -hmm. basically as you have like more and more payments for the network you actually have then have like more potential to actually earn revenue because because the, the fee structure is basically kind of like a base fee an extra percentage fee that, that's going on there so i think it basically like uh in the future because right now you can say it's like really not that mature in terms of kind of like the fee market online itself people people are like running with kind of like the, the, the default fees right which is kind of like 0.0001 percent like that but in, maybe in the future when people kind of like actually have you know more advantages or as far as they know maybe they're kind of like managing their better they're, they're positioning themselves more effectively or like maybe 
maybe rebalancing their channels, then I think it'll be, it'll be a little bit more uh, you know interesting at that point. So I should say probably it's a little bit too early right now. Uh, but <laughs> there, there is the thing I'll always where it's like you know you have like very very like low barrier to entry because anyone can step into it in the end. So I think like you know they'll be. Uh, I, I think yeah. the thing where fees will be it also low. depends on your cost, right? Yeah, like if you're cost. running on like DigitalOcean, like that's not free. Uh, but if you're running on like a Raspberry Pi your house, you know, like you have a better shot. But like even then, like like Lalo said, like it, you're gonna need like some velocity. And then there's the question of like, okay, well I'm running on a, on a Raspberry Pi. Do I want to put in enough capital to like where I can really make fees, like like you know, not negligible fees, versus and or do I want to put like a million dollars on a Raspberry Pi, which I do not recommend anyone do. <laughs> Please do not. Do that. <laughs> you know, like so you got you got to trade like you know how much capital you got to like pick the right trade off of like how much capital I'm putting up, uh, where I'm putting it, like. What is like the stability, reliability of that node and the durability? Um, yeah, because it's, it's the thing where it's, I feel like some nodes maybe are kind of like overcapitalized in terms of kind of like the risk reward. Because like you know, you, if you have like twenty million on the network, like you're, the fees aren't really substantial at that part. Maybe you should be putting the money elsewhere. Uh, but but right. I think it, that that'd be a little more balanced. You yeah. know, things are things are a lot more robust. There's kind of like you know better systems for like payment or whatever else, and we have like much higher velocity of payments in the network. Yeah. I think like also uh, you know. If Lightning does sort of like end up being providing more of like a streaming interface to like you know where you stream payment for like an Uber or a movie or something like that, then like your payment velocity will be like uh, sort of like higher and more consistent. Like you know if you're if you're getting paid out if you get a payday every day instead of like once a month, uh, then like, fees like routing nodes in the middle can make uh, off of that is also like more consistent and uniform. So something else gotcha. there, like but I think the, the sort of like the volume and like the stability of the like income may like level off mm -hmm. like and become like something you can like kind of rely on. Yeah, yeah. but then they also maybe kind of like some of services that you can offer along with your node. For example, like you could have like a watchtower as well. Maybe you earn like some fees in terms of like every single update or whatever else. I think th things like other things will arise like that too, mm -hmm. where you kind of like, you know, have like, it'll be kind of like a multi-layered thing. You have like, you know, regular like, lighting channels, you have other like, services that, that are going on. Maybe there are other things as far as like, you know, different types of matchmaking right. or whatever else. Yeah, so in that sense, like routing is just like one service you offer if you're putting up your capital for that. But like if you have a watchtower or some other like lightning incentivized protocol, um, then your node, which is already, you know, online, uh, lightning compatible and like can accept payments, you know, you're in a position to actually like sort of help bolster that infrastructure as well. And, and it seems to is though, like you're saying, like with Alex, uh, you can set yourself up for being a, a, a big router. If you have a service that is popular and that people want to connect to directly. That kind of thing, yeah. So like, I think you have like a service or if you like something, you know, that I did back in the day is kind of like, if you kind of like position yourself, like to, when new services come up, you basically like the first channel to actually establish that service. That's kind of like a kind of like an early move advantage you can have as well too. So there's a thing where it's like, I think like right now, like it's the state where you kind of like need to do a lot more man manual kind of like monitoring and like optimization of your node, but in the future we'll have like better tools to make it like, you know, reduce like actually like the burden on actually managing your node. Things like, you know, having like a cool like monitoring console that shows like graphs of like your channels, you can like do analysis like your fee, you know, projections or whatever else in the future. All, all that will come, but for now it's kind of like a very like looking at the logs, like yeah. you know, on IRC on Slack. Or like like someone channel. needs to make a version of like you know, like like Lightning Tycoon, where like you like click and drag, and you like you know, this channel's getting bad. Okay, tear that down. Like build a new one. Like <laughs> I, I'm glad you guys are fans of Railroad Tycoon. I, I played Railroad Tycoon three a I lot. Play roller Coaster Tycoon. Yeah, I played that super. Okay. Tycoon. That's awesome. Um, so here's another question. I, I I don't know if this question makes sense. I th I think it might. Is there any risk to the Lightning Network of being brought down by a coordinated DDoS attack on Lightning Network nodes? Uh, to attack every single node. I mean, I guess like you can do the same thing for Bitcoin, perhaps. No, but like, I mean, uh, like almost any internet-facing service like can suffer from a DDoS attack. So yeah. like, um, like one if like you know it's not necessarily anything inherently specific to Lightning that would you know cause that. It's just like 
asymmetric resource usage or something. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, like, sure, they probably could, mm -hmm. I, I would imagine. But, you know, I think uh, one thing that would, like, really help with that is just, like, general information around, like, you know, routing node people to set up with sort of, like, basic anti-DOS measures, like setting your IP tables or stuff like that on your nodes. And um, I think, like, you know, be best practices around those will kind of, like, develop as people do. I think Romper had, like, some pretty good... Uh, tips just on how to actually set up your node and make it like a little more DOS resistant. Mm -hmm. LND itself, I think, like has some pretty pretty basic DOS measures in it already, mm -hmm. um, and that will continue to expand yeah. like in probably the next year or so. I think mm -hmm. it's like we have a it's on our book to like really like flesh out like more of like a, a full fledged like DOS uh, sort of awareness protection like resource yeah. like management um, just so like the daemon itself can be aware of like what resources it's using bandwidth CPU all those things. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I think it'll get harder and harder with time goes on, but you know, you can never really rule that out because uh, if every Raspberry Pi in the world was to like suddenly start like making requests <laughs> to like one lightning node, there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> well, I think it's the thing where it's kind of like redundancy, right? You know, it's unlike when you take in every single node in the network, and that's why we, we promote kind of people like having like an like actually diverse channel, uh, channels of other different nodes, where it's like, if like the top like 100 go down, well, there should be other nodes that are, you know, sitting there waiting, maybe even set up channels to like, you know, in uh, anticipation of those nodes going down. So the thing where it's like, as a random operator, you can say, okay, well, if these like 100 nodes goes down, like, you know, I will have the channel that has like, kind of like the actual like corridor to actually do that center of payment. So the thing where is well, you can actually open channels yourself where like, if the network does go down, I'll be the person everyone's accounting on basically. Or, like, not, you know, not explicitly, but like, you'd be kind of like, like the last few channels actually have that corridor, you actually like get back up and make, make new channels to actually address those needs interesting and uh well so you're saying like the same th applies for bitcoin and uh bitcoin's had a lot of acrimony in its past and yet we haven't really seen someone try uh that kind of attack of dosing every single bitcoin then yeah because it's a thing where it's like not you know not every node it's like i think like not every node is even listening right so you know like you know i could have like a bunch of nodes that connect amongst themselves that are listening i can also do things like kind of like more like private peering like maybe you're kind of like a like interpreter just, just like communicate with a particular node the only like dos i've seen is basically like you know maybe like bcash nodes falling over because they can't handle the load or kind of like you know stuff with <laughs> yeah. BQ, right like so like and the, you know bitcoin itself yeah there hasn't really been any like major thing there may be some misses in the past or kind of like some things that are like uh, you know kind of bad but like so far it's been you know pretty robust at that point still so. It's funny on the previous Q and A podcast that Michael and I did, we were we were hypothesizing this idea of having shadow lightning networks between friends that are essentially like a a web of trust within the the shadows of the lightning network. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it could be a thing where it's like, you know, I have like half my connections are kind of like, you know, from like the like open web, maybe like I probably also like and the other half are kind of like people I actually know in IRC, right? So they make kind of like a stronger, you know, like set in, in terms of like people that actually gonna be doing the first the first things are my channels, or maybe like, you know, who I'm exposing like IP or like hidden service address to whatever yeah. else. There's also like the possibility that like um just on like the public network, right? It's like I could advertise like a channel for one BTC between Lalo and I. Um, but then I could actually have like eight other private channels between Lalo and I, yeah. which I'm actually using for forwarding. So you yeah. can actually have like a whole like shadow like channel in a sense too. So yeah. like I, I use basically the one BTC channel to signal like routing policies and whatever, but I actually have like nine BTC bandwidth between. Oh, us interesting. That's yeah. fascinating. So it's kind of like, you know, subnets on the internet are kind of like autonomous services. Yeah. I think you see similar, see a similar thing in, in the future where it's like one node, but really it's kind of like has a whole another shadow network that's really not really an entire the people. Or it could be a thing where it's like, you know, within an organization, if they're doing kind of like commerce for both, they have like a bunch of private channels to themselves. Mm -hmm. But then like to the wider area, they expose kind of like a few public channels to the, yeah. to the network. One of the, one of the nice things about that too is like, you know, I'm only advertising one routing policy and basically like every node in essence only needs to have like one edge advertised even though there's actually like, there could be like three, four, whatever channels backing it on chain that don't need to be advertised as well. So like, um, 
that's like, you know, helps a little bit with that approach too. And just turns of like this router state that each node needs to keep because the packets that the node sends for the advertised channel work just as well on the unadvertised ones. Um, right. Fascinating. Uh, and then one of the other things we discussed was how having like web of trust peers uh, would allow you to have, uh, avoid the issue of them force closing a channel on you or even just uh, cooperatively closing a channel. So then your channels can have more age uh, and thus have like a, a Lindy effect for for routing. Yeah, uh, it's also a thing where you can maybe also have like a lower CSV value. Where if like if I, if I have a channel with Connor, well, I can have like a lower CSV value, CSV value because I can have like more protection against him, kind of like maybe cheating me or trying to cheat him with a breach, right? So you can like modify the parameters. For example, like you know businesses may have different parameters as far as like you know public channels themselves versus parameters of like you know actual people and on the greater network themselves. This leads me to the uh, next question uh, from at cart eight fifty two. Uh, do I need to close my payment channels to upgrade my LND software in the future? Uh, typically, no. Typically, usually, no. Typically, no. Yeah. Um, most of the changes are like backwards compatible with you know channels. Uh, we, I don't think we've had a release where you've needed to close channels necessarily. Uh, um, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. So yeah, typically, like any upgrades that can be done are typically like, um, well. A lot of changes are done outside of just channels, right? There's a lot of uh, stuff going on just in terms of like how we manage like, you know, wallet software, uh, you know, gossip messages, routing tables, stuff like that. So like not every update necessarily even like touches like, you know, your actual channel data necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, and those channels should continue to work as well in the future. And there could be points in time where, um, you know, when you like, it really depends if like, you pull in a new feature, like a brand new channel design, say you wanted to move to like an L2 channel or you had one that is now capable of doing um, you know, two PCDSA or like a Schnorr variant of like Lightning, uh, all of those would actually require you to like upgrade those channels just because like they have sort of fundamental different channel designs, different keys, stuff like that. But um, for the most part, like, I think for the current design, I don't, I haven't seen a reason why you need to close them out. Yeah, like maybe like in the early, early days when things like really kind of like a lot more in flux, but like right now things are a lot more stable. Uh, yeah. So like you should need to close your channels. Awesome. Uh, and then the next question is from uh, Helge Hunding. Uh, I've heard something about identities on the Lightning Network, but haven't looked into it uh, that you could attach an identity to your node. Is that correct? And could it be used instead of an account name plus password in some cases? Uh, so you can set an alias on your node, um, but no, you shouldn't use them as sort of like an authentication mechanism or even like a reliable identity system in any case. Um, because they're not authenticated anyway, right? There's no global consensus on like node announcements. So I could say, he could say roast beef, I could say roast beef, I could say not roast beef to, like tomorrow and I can just sign an update and change it. Yeah. So like they're they're totally mutable, they're not unique. Um, they're, you know, yeah, you, you, you're you putting a lot of faith in those aliases. They should be treated as just like either like, uh, maybe, it should really say like maybe or like <laughs> probably not. Or just say, was, my, mine's gonna not say like, real roast beef. Like, yeah. What's that? <laughs> mine's gonna say real roast beef. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I guess the one thing is like you know, there's a system like an LND where you can kind of like sign a like message with with your node pub key, which you can kind of like use to authenticate your node, which which could be used for some sort of authentication. So it's not really kind of like this is like blah. It's like okay, well, this is that user identified by that pub key. Yeah. So it's, it's a little bit different. You should still always trust the pub keys, right? Yeah, because um, yeah, the the usernames have no authentication basically, or the sorry, the aliases have no authentication. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, all right, so we're coming up on, on an hour here. Uh, this has been a fantastic conversation. Um, is there something that like you guys want to shill, promote? Uh, as, uh, uh, let's see. Uh, 
right now I need, I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess, uh, you know, there'll be a bunch of new features coming out like early next year. Um, been working a lot on like sort of the watchtower protocols, uh, getting that as fleshed out, starting to test it out. I was running, um, I just sort of like ran it with like an in-memory database on my node last night. So I'm testing it out, checking out how it's like, or checking out that everything's working as properly or as, as we expect. Yeah. Um, so it should be going through a slightly thorough review on that in the next couple of months. So maybe people on Slack, like be looking to test that out. If you guys are interested, I'll need some testers. Oh, yeah. how, how do you get on the uh, Lightning Lab Slack? Uh, there's an invite link somewhere. Oh, yeah. So it's... there's a link in the readme of the LND GitHub. It's okay. like, you know, kind of tucked away, but like developers, you, you know, you, you know <laughs> right? Uh, but yeah, so there's that. And then there's also like IRC, you know, LND on Freenode. And those are kind of like places where we're hanging out. You can yeah. Like so it's the LND community Slack. Yeah. Gotcha. Awesome. Uh, and so if, if you're a Go developer, definitely go check out uh, Lightning on GitHub and see uh, if there's any any uh, pull requests or issues that you want to help out with, because I know that uh, you mentioned there's 170 issues that that need some attention. Yeah, yeah it's like, it's like some of them are bugs, some of them are feature requests. Like, okay, like add a new call or do whatever else. Yeah. But yeah, there's tons of stuff to do. Yeah, and there's a ton of there's a, an equal number of PRs to review. So yeah, awesome. and, <laughs> and, and and not all of them. We have contribution guidelines as well, which probably worth worth our checking out. Uh, that we recently updated to or we're updating right now. Awesome. Uh, not all of them require a master's in in cryptography or, or uh, that that level of background knowledge, right? There's uh, oh, quite a few oh, yeah, that could be yeah, just a, yeah. a go hacker. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And things go pretty easy to learn. I think like if you know Python or C, it's like pretty similar because like it's a pretty small language. But go from there, and it's like you know, yeah. like, like there's a lot of like small tasks as well. Like you know, add a new CLI command. Or something and if, like you, that. if you're looking to contribute, use the make file. That'll that'll save you a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, docs, we, can, we can work on the docs there too. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> awesome. Um, any any uh, parting thoughts? I guess uh, we should follow you on Twitter at uh, roastbeef r o a s f b e e f. That's two e's. Um, and at uh, Big Connor, b i t c o n n e r. And there is there a, a preferred way of communicating with you guys if people have questions? Uh, uh, Twitter, 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 IRC is where yeah. I'm usually on. Awesome. Yep. And uh, yeah, that's it. Thanks uh, everyone for joining us on the Noted Bitcoin podcast. If you want to see our interviews live, uh, join our Patreon. Eventually, we're going to replace that with like a, a Lightning version. I think there's Tallycoin that's being developed. Uh, so cool. once it's got like feature parity for what we need, we'll we'll shift over to that. Looks yeah. like uh, Nicholas uh, was implying that BTC Pay server is working on something as well. So awesome! Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, soon enough, when we have our own podcast studio, we can also record in front of a live studio audience. Yeah, <laughs> let's do it <laughs> with like with like a laugh track or something. <laughs> yeah, we'll have the sign. It's like laugh now. Yeah, <laughs> please laugh. <laughs> please clap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Thanks, guys, for taking the uh, time out of your very busy days. We really appreciate it. Um, I think there's there's a lot of people who are extremely excited about Lightning, and uh, they they love hearing about it f directly from the source. So you guys are really, um, w you know, two of, of a number of people that are at the center of uh, this Lightning universe. Awesome. Thank you so much, Pierre and Michael. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's been fun. It's fun to actually, like, you know, share a lot of the stuff we're working on and, um, you know, get people excited about this because... We basically like live and breathe it here every day. So, um, you know, it's good. It's, uh, you know, it's good chat with you and like good to get that information out. So. Definitely. Yeah, All right. Thank happy you holidays. So much. Awesome. Cheers. Yeah. Bye. All right. See ya.